0: Everyone, and welcome to On Track, our podcast series on legal issues in the post COVID world. I'm Gil Porter, a partner at Haynes Boone, and host of this series of podcasts covering recent developments in the post COVID legal landscape. Today is May 3rd, 2021, and it's recently come to my attention that we've neglected to highlight two very important events in our podcasts. One such event was the Trademark Monetization Act, a major piece of legislation that was signed into law late last year. The trademark law might have been easy to overlook since it was tucked inside a 5,000-page COVID-19 relief bill that obviously received quite a bit more attention. Fortunately, our guest today, Joe Mattel, did not overlook the Trademark Monetization Act. And he's going to walk us through some of the finer points of a law that he believes is the most significant piece of trademark legislation in the last 75 years. Joe is a partner in our Washington, D.C. office, where he handles intellectual property and patent matters. He previously served as acting director and acting solicitor of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And in fact, in that role, he provided advice and assistance on what ultimately would become the Trademark Modernization Act. I mentioned there was a second omission, and that one we really have no excuse for, but I'm not even going to mention that now. You'll just have to wait till the end uh, when I come back, and I'll tell you about it then. As always, our podcast discussion will be guided by Nathan Koppel, our head of media relations, and I'm going to turn it over to Nathan. But first, our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are fast-moving, subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. That's it for me now. I'll talk to you later. Nathan, it's all yours. Thanks, Gil. And Joe, welcome
1: aboard. So let's set the stage for the discussion, Joe. I want to ask you about... What was the reason behind the new law? What, what problems did it seek to remedy?
2: Uh, thanks, Nathan. Well, the uh, premise of the law is the fundamental truth that not all brand names are created equally. Uh, marketing experts generally agree that the most commercially effective trademarks, are those that are unique and consist of uh, short, common English words that evoke ideas that you want to associate with your product, or service, and when it comes to these commercially effective marks, the uh, uh, House and Senate uh, IP subcommittees held fairly, heard fairly compelling uh, testimony that there is a crisis of uh, trademark depletion. Uh, this testimony was uh, came from two professors who've written a law review article on the topic, uh, Barton Beebe and Jeannie Fromer, uh, both from New York University of Law School. The article is called "Are We Running Out of Trademarks: An Empirical Study of Trademark Depletion and Congestion," uh, published in 2018. And in their article, in their testimony, they uh, pre- present this evidence that the universe of commercially effective marks has shrunk quite a bit over the last 40 years. Their data follows 1985 to about 2015. And they show, for example, in their charts that the percentage of all English words that are registered as single word marks is grown from about 58% in 1985 to 74% today. We've now reached a stage, in effect, where when we use our language, Nearly three quarters of the time, we're using a word that someone else has already claimed as a trademark. And of the 1,000 words that are most frequently used in English, 813 are now registered as marks. The remaining 187 offer some pretty slim pickings, too. They include words like died, disease, and uh, violence. Do you see yourself using the word disease or, or violence you know to promote your product? Uh, the same trend is true for surnames. The percentage that are claimed as marks has gone up from 40% to 55% over the same uh, period. Odds are your own surname has been claimed by, uh, by someone as a trademark. I, I think Metal is still available. And the, uh, the results of this have been that applicants are being forced to use longer and more complex words. Um, since 85, the number of words in the average mark and the number of characters and syllables has grown as well. So people are being forced into this position of using less commercially effective marks, you know, especially new entrants. And the impacts of this is it's more expensive to get trademarks. Um, it's harder to find things that aren't confusingly similar to something else that's already out there. And the marks that are available is are, are less effective. Um, so that that was that was basically the uh, the impetus for this legislation.
1: It's a, just a, some staggering facts. There, who's doing all this? These this registering of trademarks. It sounds like a little yeah, bit of everyone. Every,
2: everyone, and um, you know this uh, uh, there. Are, some uh, more problems have come from certain quarters but um, the pTO does these audits or these proof of use audits uh, every now and again and when they presented the um, at the last uh, trademark public advisory uh, committee meeting in uh, april of 2020 they um, presented data on this and they showed that um, uh, about 46 percent of u.s registrants couldn't show proof of use and uh, for foreign registrants that uh, that comes to about two-thirds it's more common for foreign registrations because most for a lot of foreign countries don't have a proof of use requirement so they're just not used to it and um, you know they aren't used to having to prove these things up and then uh, one country that's been a very interesting source of this is uh, China between just 2013 and 17 our filings from China rose by about 1,200 percent. Um, China now accounts for eleven percent of all US trademarks filings. Uh, the second biggest country, our neighbor Canada, um, comes in at a measly two percent uh, left in the dust. And uh, it's gotten uh, severe enough that when I was at the agency, for example, the trademarks organization was looking at hiring more examining attorneys just to deal just because of the filings from China. There was a surge of hiring they did that they wouldn't have had to do if it hadn't been because of this uh, increase in filings from China.
1: And what was what, do you, what was driving the rise in filings from China? You,
2: you know, know, it seems to be uh, subsidies. <laughs> um, China, the various levels of China's government awards more than seventy types of subsidies that uh, encourage citizens to obtain foreign and domestic trademarks. And to just give you one example, in two thousand thirteen, the Shenzhen government began providing subsidies of, of about seven hundred and fifty dollars for obtaining a U.S. trademark registration. Well, it only costs about two hundred and fifty dollars to pay the fees, so you get a a clean profit as a Chinese filer of five hundred dollars from your own government just for obtaining a, um, a a U.S. trademark registration. You know, you can see how, uh, especially given the you know lower uh, standard of uh, average income in that country, you could make a living you know, just by filing from trademarks. Was, but,
1: is there any value to register mark if you're not going to use it though?
2: no you know aside from getting that subsidy you know people have asked me you know well, what's china's game here what are they doing and I, I think it's a symptom of having a command and control economy and not having a free press that uh, exposes um, you know mistakes like this it doesn't benefit china at all to have all these uh, invalid and frankly unused trademark registrations, it irritates their foreign partners who have all this deadwood uh, on their register. I think someone at the top just decided, well, what's our plan for the future? You know, uh, more IP is a sign of progress and arriving on the world scene, so let's do subsidies and get more. But it, you know, really undermines the you know the, the symbolism of getting new trademarks if there are a bunch of fraudulent trademarks that you're not actually using that aren't connected to any goods actually used in commerce
1: so so prior to the new law which you're going to talk about in a a minute here in detail how hard was it to clear some of this deadwood from the registry
2: uh it it wasn't so much it was hard it was expensive uh you know the only way to do it was through opposition proceedings at the uh a trademark trial and appeal board and as you know those are full-blown oppositional proceedings with um you know, discovery and all the attendant costs, and so you know the costs are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, to use those proceedings. Not a, um, you know, something you do not use lightly. Uh, in other words,
1: and so how does how does the new law make it easier to challenge?
2: So the new law creates two new types of uh, proceedings for challenging deadwood on the register: um, an ex parte proceeding um, and an expungement proceeding. And the expungement proceeding is when you allege that the mark has never been used in commerce, and the ex parte is when you allege that it was not used in commerce at the relevant date. Now, the relevant date you know, really matters more for the US, registra- U.S. registrations. Expungement foreigners aren't required to use it from you know the get go, and they can still seek priority here. So, expungement is targeted more probably at those uh, foreign registrations where, look, whatever, you know, even though you weren't required to use it at the relevant date, you've never been using this thing, you know, and therefore, uh, therefore your mark is invalid. And the, um, you know, each has their own timeframes of of when you can use it. But the key thing about them uh, for market participants is that um, it's going to be an ex parte proceeding. So it's not contested. There's no discovery. And all you'll have to do is present the search you ran, whatever kind of reasonable search you ran. The committee report tells us a Google search probably won't cut it, but you'll need to explain what the channels of commerce are, where this thing would show up if, you know, it was actually being used. uh, This mark, you know, would appear if it was being used in commerce, you know, explain the search you ran and say it wasn't there. So here's my prima facie case that this mark, you know, was not being used in commerce at the relevant time or has never been used in commerce. um, And therefore uh, you should strike it. I I should add uh, in most cases, in a lot of cases, you know, you could raise this issue of abandonment. Um, well, or a lot of cases will turn on abandonment. The, you know, the way these proceedings are set up, they exclude that abandonment gets into sometimes fact-intensive issues. Did you have justification for not using it? For that, they keep a proceeding available at the um, um, at, at the TTAB and oppositional proceeding. But for the clean cases where it's not a question of abandonment or justifiable, excusable non-use. Um, you know, where just someone someone registered this and maybe they thought they might use it someday, but they never did. And the evidence is they've never been using it. Here you have a cheap and easy way of getting that mark struck from the register.
1: I mean, is there a way to put in dollar terms what this represents in savings to, to challenge uh, an underused mark under the new regime versus the old?
2: You know, it's uh, the agency has to um, implement regulations to. Um, promulgate regulations to implement these proceedings. We still don't know exactly what they're going to do, but, um, you know, we, we think they'll uh, implement regulations in the spirit of this proceeding and keep it simple and fast and uh, and, and clean. So we think the, you know, the fees will be much lower and the lawyers' costs. So I wouldn't be surprised if it costs just 10% of what the, um, you know, what oppositional proceedings cost.
1: Do you, a, do you have a feel for when the new proceedings will come online?
2: Oh, I don't just have a feel. It's in the statute. uh, The agency is ordered to promulgate regulations implementing these proceedings by one year after the date of the enactment of the act. So that means the agency is required to have final regulations in place by uh, December 27th of, of this year.
1: So under the new streamlined proceedings, if a trademark is challenged, what sort of showing does a registrant need to make at that point to defend the mark?
2: Simple. You just need to provide proof of, of some sort that you've been using the mark uh, in commerce. You know, it's really pretty straightforward. And I think that's part of the reason they made they imposed a rule as well that these are one and done proceedings. Once one party brings a challenge, no one else can challenge it because once one party is you know brought their prima facie case, hey, here's the search I ran and I didn't find it, and that registrant comes back and says, no, no, I've been using it, and here's the evidence. And the matter's pretty much settled. There's no point in you know allowing another challenge. But it's just you know, proving that you've been living up to the requirements that uh, you know, you're required to maintain a U.S. registration in, in the first place, that you're using this in commerce in relation to the goods.
1: Well, so we still have a few more months before this uh, these streamlined proceedings um, start. Any steps you'd recommend the registrants take now to get their house in order in anticipation that they'll see more challenges?
2: Uh, yes, um, you know, people should look over their own registrations and make sure they have proof of use in there for them, so that they don't uh, uh, end up with these challenges. And then, um, frankly, it's a chance to look at um, some marks that interfere with your business or your competitors' marks and see, you know, have they been using this or this confusingly similar mark that's just in my way? Um, you know, maybe it's um, you know maybe it's not being used, and here's a, a cheap procedure for challenging this and the um, you know, uh, the expungement proceedings in particular are time limited for when you can use it. But for the initial two years that the proceedings will be stood up, that time limit won't be in place and you can challenge any mark no matter how old it is. So even a very old, long ago registered mark during that first two year window, um, you can challenge it under these, uh, uh, under these proceedings. There's that brief opportunity um, no matter how old it is.
1: Great. Well, let's let's turn to another major aspect, uh, a change in the new law, which is restoring trademark owner's right to a presumptive injunction upon showing a violation of the Lanham Act. Can you walk us through what the prior state of affairs was and how the, the law changes that presumption?
2: Sure. Yeah. So in the uh, in the idyllic days of the past in the Garden of Eden, uh, everyone had a uh, automatic injunction, um, a, a presumption of irreparable injury in both patents and trademarks cases. In uh, patents, uh, you know, there's always a lot more controversy and contentiousness in patents. You have a lot of, uh, you're not required to use your uh, patent in order to enforce it. And there was an automatic injunction and you got entities that don't use their patent at all acquired it on a secondary market and we're getting injunctions and really roiling people's business. And uh, you know, defendants eventually got up to one of these cases up to the Supreme Court and persuaded the Supreme Court that there is no automatic injunction for patents um, that you have to show irreparable harm. And uh, this is one of those cases of uh, patents doing something bad and trademarks getting in trouble. Um, the same remedy started to be applied to, the, um, to trademarks. You got a couple of courts, in particular, the 3rd, the ninth, and the 11th circuits that decided this eBay case involving uh, patents must apply to trademarks as well. What's um, you know, good for patents is, uh, is good for trademarks as well. And that meant you no longer had the automatic um, injunction in the uh, trademark space as well. Uh, and th- you know, this really, really created a, a problem. You got some very problematic cases. Some of these are highlighted in the committee report for the bill, where courts basically took this approach of, well, if you, you, know, if you have to show a reparable injury, if it's not automatic, then you have to show something more beyond whatever evidence that you use to show your injury. So you get cases where uh, uh, people showed you know, very compelling evidence of injury, even actual consumer confusion or implied counterfeiting and things like that. And the court would say, well, great, you know, that shows your injury. You've done on that part. But now what more do you have for me to show irreparable injury? And well, you know, the evidence is all kind of the same. And uh, especially in the trademarks case, once you've shown actual confusion, or, um, you know, or even counterfeiting, um, you know, what more do you expect? And uh, the committee report even makes that point. It's not clear what else people are expected to uh, to show in these cases. The uh, committee cites uh, an excellent dissent from Judge Clifton from a 2018 case called Adidas v. Skechers, uh, where he uh, points out, look, once you've shown you know, actual confusion, someone's interfering in your, uh, you know, in, in your space, then, you know, that should be all, all that's required to show, you know, any kind of uh, an injury. And uh, it's amazing. But just uh, two years after um, Judge Clifton wrote that dissent, and one year after this act is introduced, the law has been changed. And we now have a, um, a presumption of irreparable harm in the uh, trademark space. I think uh, Judge Clifton must be, feel quite vindicated about that dissent.
1: In that, uh, the restoring to the presumption is effective immediately upon the passage of the law?
2: Yes. So the uh, the bill itself doesn't actually state an effective date, but there's a default rule in the is you know, in Supreme Court cases that absent any statement in the statute, a law is presumed to take effect immediately. Now, what does it mean to take effect immediately? Does it apply to pending cases? Well, there's a presumption against applying new laws to pending cases, but there's an exception to the presumption. For laws regulating uh, prospective relief, any kind of injunctive relief. And there it's clear that if the rules governing injunctive relief are changed, they, uh, they apply immediately to pending cases. The Supreme Court has even remanded cases before when, you know, while it has the case, a new law is passed and they remand it for application of the new law. It's pretty clear all these rules apply to this case. So everyone's immediately entitled to a presumption of uh, irreparable harm in, in uh, trademarks cases.
0: Is
1: there any evidence uh, an accused infringer could bring forth to try to rebut this presumption?
2: Uh, you know, there is. And that's an important question. Um, you know, the types of evidence that's used to rebut the um, uh, showing of irreparable harm are, for example, you can cite delay by the uh, the mark owner that they unreasonably sat on their rights for too long. You can argue lack of evidence. I'll put an asterisk via, uh, uh, next to that because um, uh, it's not really clear what, you know, if there's a presumption, you know, should lack of evidence still be an issue. But all these, uh, you you can argue that monetary relief is enough in a particular case, you can cite your own steps to rebrand or uh, other defensive actions you've taken, like limiting the market where you, uh, uh, you know, where you sell the goods that are that are supposedly confusingly uh, similarly marked, or you can limit the products that it's used for. The reason all this is important is the way the presumption works, and at least this is very clear in the federal circuits jurisprudence, is that once rebuttal evidence is is introduced, it doesn't just balance against the presumption. The presumption is eliminated, and thereafter, the case really just turns on the facts. And therefore, even though mark owners now have this presumption, it'll be a very valuable presumption, you still want to marshal whatever evidence of actual injury Uh, Irreparable injury you have. So if you have any evidence of actual confusion or, um, you know, you want to show that you're in competition, if you can show loss of sales evidence and you just want to talk about the actual goods of of each party and marketing efforts being taken, because if the other side can come back with anything that rebuts the presumption, then you're back to the facts And you can no longer rely on that, um, um, on that presumption. Uh, You know, you're in a situation of effectively having a, you could end up in a situation of having a lack of evidence once that presumption goes away.
1: And in these cases, is that where most of the battle is fought at the injunction stage? Does it ever actually, does it go to the merits and, or is, is this really the kind of game set match if you can get an injunction?
2: You know, for trademark owners, you really want that injunction. It's often very hard to show uh, money damages in a trademarks case. How do you prove that someone didn't buy your product or was misled and affected their, you know, their choice to buy? You can run studies, but it, you know, it's a very tough thing to show. And you know, once you show someone's in your space, they have a mark that's confusingly similar, or God forbid, they're you know counterfeiting. They're trying to trade off your name. You know, you're not worried about calculating your damages. You just want it to stop, and you want them out of your space. Uh, immediately, uh, You know, you're, you're never going to get all the damage back anyway. So that, that injunction is particularly valuable.
1: So the new law, uh, suffice it to say, makes life much easier for, for brand owners, I would think. When it,
2: Definitely, yeah. 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 In fact, we expect to see an uptick in trademark enforcement. We also expect to see less forum shopping. There was about a 30% drop in trademarks cases in the years after the uh, Ninth Circuit had, uh, extended the eBay case to trademarks. Uh, Mark owners have a true cho- choice where to file. And, you know, why file in a circuit where they've said, you know, there's no presumption of irreparable harm. You see cases like Adidas v. Skechers. And why do you want that to ha- happen to you? You know, go to one of the other circuits where they, uh, and, but anyway, all that's gone now. It's a uniform law. And no matter where you sue, you have that presumption of irreparable harm again.
1: Well, great. And uh, I, I know you're not the most neutral person for this question since you had a hand in drafting this new law, but on balance, is it a good thing? Do you think?
2: I think it is, yeah. We definitely needed a better system to um, knock Deadwood off the register and open up some of these marks for new entrants. Um, you know, when the register is clogged like this, it, it really hurts, you know, the new guys the most. Um uh, they're the ones who are pre- prevented from uh, effectively marketing themselves. And then the uh, presumption of irreparable harm, it just makes sense. Um, you know, in these trademarks cases, you do really need that. You re- do just really need that person out of your space. These aren't suits about money. And, it, and, you know, the old, you know, the rule that some of these courts had adopted where whatever you use to show injury can't be used to show irreparable harm, that just doesn't make any sense. And in the typical trademarks cases, a showing of a violation is a showing of harm. And that alone should be enough to get that injunction and get that other mark shut down.
1: Do somehow these two facets of the law work at cross purposes? In one sense, you're making it easier to challenge trademarks. But on the other hand, you're giving trademark owners a sort of this uh, presumption of harm. Somehow they seem incongruous.
2: Yeah, one of them is uh, you know you know one of them uh, uh, is used against trademark owners. The other one works in favor of them. But you know Congress made this pretty reasonable judgment, and you know I think that if there's deadwood on the register, create an easy way for people to clear it off. Something that people will actually use that's cheap enough to be useful. We want to open those marks up if they um, don't meet the legal requirements. And then for the injunctions. You know, for the marks that are out there and are actually being used in commerce and are valid, if uh, someone's building their business around this mark and they get someone interfering, they should get that injunctive relief. That's really what you want as a, as a mark owner in these cases um, to effectively
0: prevent, protect your brand.
1: Well, Joe, thank you very, very much. And with that, Gil, I'm going to turn it back to you.
0: Well, great. Thank you, Joe. And of course, thank you, Nathan. Uh, this really comes home to me over this weekend. I was sitting with my son as he was trying to start up his new business. and The trademark process was front and center. So I think this is an excellent development. And I appreciate the summary, Joe, and your assistance in putting it together. And thank you to our listeners for joining our podcast. I mentioned at the start one embarrassing omission that I hadn't yet told you about, and that is that we completely failed to celebrate last month the one-year anniversary of this podcast series. So with this podcast, we're instead celebrating our 13-month anniversary, perhaps the start of a new baker's dozen tradition of birthday celebrations, but perhaps not. Our next webinar and podcast topic will focus on the impact of the post-COVID marketplace on startups and emerging companies. That should be very interesting. So please look forward to uh, seeing you then. And it'll be at the end of this month. Until then, be well, stay safe.